0: Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own Heritage of Faith. Hello and thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program with our host, Pastor Matthew Recker. We are live with you this Sunday evening broadcasting from the WMCA studios in Lower Manhattan. My name is Micah, and I'm the Ministry Assistant at Heritage, and tonight, if you want to be part of our conversation, as always, or if you'd like prayer, you can give us a call during our program at 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, we just had Thanksgiving this past Thursday, and I love to ask this question. What are you most thankful for this year?
1: Well, Micah... (laughs) That's a hard Is question. Is that your answer? Oh, oh Yeah, oh, oh. because there's so many things <laughs> to be thankful for. But, of course, we're thankful for our Savior and God yes. who has saved us by his grace. And so thank God for Jesus. I love what Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. So thank God for Jesus. But I thank God for my wife. Yeah. She's my best friend. Mm-hmm and she's so faithful to the lord mm. and faithful to me yeah. and I'm very thankful for my wife and I'm thankful for my children yeah. they all visited me this weekend mm. and it's been great to spend a little time with them and thankful for our church family yes michael i'm even thankful for you brother <laughs> you're a blessing and I'm thankful for brother charlie yes. who is with us tonight <laughs> Charlie, thank you for being here this evening with us once again. And what are you thankful for? What does the Thanksgiving holiday mean to you? And what are you thankful for?
2: Uh, A number of things. Primarily, my salvation, but almost four years of marriage in December. Mm. December eighth will be four years exactly. Yeah, and uh, just another year where we could see God work. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful just uh, different things that uh, brothers and sisters at church that actually take a genuine interest. In my spiritual growth and mm. uh, challenged me actually, mm, held yeah. me to account to yeah. the fact that hey, I need to be on point and responsible as a believer to fulfill my obligations mm. uh, to to the Lord.
1: Well, we are thankful for you, Charlie. You're a faithful man of God. You and Carrie serving the Lord in our church. You have been a student in our institute, and I'm thankful you're still in New York City because I thought when you were gonna get, <laughs> when you were becoming married, you would be gone to Florida within. Six months, maybe? <laughs> yeah, those are the plan. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thankful you're still here, brother. So <laughs> good to have you with us tonight. And Carrie, your wife, is on the other side taking our calls. So if you have a prayer need tonight, if we could help you in any way, maybe you're just going through something very difficult, or maybe the holidays are a hard time for you. Maybe a loved one has just passed away, and you've had to go through this holiday season without that loved one. Mm. That's always a very difficult thing for someone. So if Mm -hmm. we could pray with you and God's comfort in your life, call us now at 929 333 3, 9. And I'm thankful for Phoebe. It was her birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Phoebe. birthday. Phoebe. Okay, <laughs> so we're going to look in Romans chapter 9 this evening, and just beginning at verse 1. And so we're done with Romans chapter 8. I said I was a bit sad about that, Micah, yeah. until I started studying <laughs> Romans chapter 9. Then I'm excited oh, that we could be in this chapter of God's Word. And this passage really expresses Paul's deep burden for Israel Mm -hmm. and what a burden he has. Mm -hmm. So we're going to read Romans chapter 9, and I'll start us off at verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 5, and then I'll pray. Verse 1, Romans 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost.
2: That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart.
0: For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all god blessed forever amen
1: amen Amen. so father we thank you for your son the lord jesus christ who is god and you are blessed forever O lord god lord jesus now help us as we look into this wonderful passage of scripture we want to properly and rightly divide your word so that others can be encouraged and built up in the faith lord we pray for listeners this evening that yes. you would encourage them mm-hmm. that you would teach them that you would use them mightily mm-hmm. lord as we look at paul's great burden for souls we pray that you would increase all of our vision and all of our burden for the lost in our city and how we pray lord even as Paul was in great heaviness for the salvation of his people Israel, mm-hmm. we are in great heaviness for Israel mm-hmm. even this evening, but mm-hmm. also for just our own city and our own loved ones, Lord. Yeah. So bring salvation, we pray, to many even who hear this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul transitions from talking about how Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. And there's such triumph in his voice, in his writing, as he says that. But now it's as if his triumph in his salvation turns to tears Hmm. when he considers the lost condition of national Israel. Hmm. These are the people of his own flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. And it's as if Paul's heart cries out with such passion for their salvation. So after triumphantly proclaiming that nothing can separate a child of God from Jesus' love, Paul now begins Romans 9 lamenting that many do not know this love, Mm. the love of Jesus Christ. How sad is that, Mm -hmm. that they do not know the love of Christ? And so Paul, I believe, even recalls his own lost condition when he writes about his kinsmen according to the flesh and he realizes how someone can know so much and be so religious and be so invested in in Judaism and in religion mm-hmm. and yet be completely lost so it's almost as if i see i could in a sense see the tears streaming down paul's cheeks as he writes these verses and shares his burden mm-hmm. for israel so really this begins now in romans 9 a very large, lengthy section in the book of Romans, mm-hmm, right? From mm-hmm. Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11. And mm-hmm. it's all about?
3: Israel. <laughs> Israel. Israel. <Yeah. laughs>
1: and so most people from what I have looked at and and how they kind of most easily summarize these chapters is that Romans 9 deals with the Lord's past dealing with Israel. Mm-hmm. And he talks about Jacob and Abraham and and. And Isaac, and so forth. And then Romans 10, God's present dealing with Israel. Mm-hmm. And then Romans 11, God's future dealings with Israel. So the Lord's dealing with Israel is the theme of Romans 9 through 11 the past, the present, the future. Mm-hmm. So the question really, though, is why does God devote this lengthy section to the nation of Israel? Mm-hmm. So, Micah, as we get into this passage, as I've mentioned, in Romans 8, he wrote, nothing can separate us from God's love. But Mm -hmm. the question now, it kind of begs the question, what about the Jew? Yeah. They were objects of of the love of God, Mm -hmm. but are they, have not, they been separated from the love of God? I think that's what Paul is dealing with here.
0: Yeah, and it's such a great question, Pastor, because... To ask if God's chosen people, the Jews, have been separated from his love, it's not only a relevant question to the verses we just read, it's a relevant question when considering the last 2,000 years, and it's a relevant question even considering the last two months. You know, the Jewish people have been so persecuted by the world for centuries simply for being Jews. So some could make an argument that, yes, God has walked away from his people. In fact, there's a famous Holocaust survivor named Ellie Wiesel And he did make this argument. He wrote a play that was called The Trial of God based on scenes that he witnessed as a teen in the Auschwitz concentration camp. And in the play, he describes how a court case took place where witnesses were heard, evidence was gathered, and then conclusions were drawn. And eventually they found that, yes, God had abandoned his people. But as I understand, the play eventually ended with the traditional evening prayers to God anyway, after the whole court case was done. So it seemed to indicate that deep down, even these knew that God hadn't truly abandoned them. And we know that God has not abandoned his people. It's true, of course, as Paul tells us later in the section, that blindness in part has happened to Israel because of their rejection of the Messiah. But Paul also says that blindness is temporary and that one day, all of Israel will be saved. Reiterating the truth that we know from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Yeah, that's that's great, Mike, and that, that's exactly true. And it's really a, a
1: deep question when you think about how. I mean, just from a Jewish standpoint, mm-hmm. if you're Jewish, why would you be compelled to believe in Christ, mm-hmm. so to speak? Mm-hmm. Especially two thousand years since Christ has come. Yeah you might say, if Jesus were the Messiah, surely the Jewish people would have nationally decided that he is by now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, they haven't. Yeah. And you know, Paul was burdened for Israel 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, what he would feel like today yeah. after 2,000 years mm-hmm. of blindness. Mm-hmm. And you know, in studying about this, the question was posed this way, that if Jesus is the Savior of the world and he is the promised Messiah, then how could national Israel, in a sense, be separated from him for these 2,000 years? Mm-hmm. And that was the question that you just mentioned with uh, Harvey Weisel. You know, has God, as Paul said, Paul asked the question in Romans yeah. 11, has mm-hmm. God cast oh, away his people. Yeah. No way.
0: No. Yeah. It's not possible. Yeah. yeah. But yet it could seem like it was. Yeah, and you know, I would just say that this question, um, you know, when I was sort of figuring out years ago when I was figuring out the whole denominational thing, and I've mentioned on this program before that, you know, I grew up in a Bible church in Colorado, but I didn't really know the difference between the denominations. And I was going to another denomination, and this question was actually the one that led me down a whole road to eventually end up at heritage, which was, you know, how does the church feel about Israel? How, how does the Bible speak about Israel? And once I started down that road, I realized actually that the implications are enormous. You know, whether you believe the church has replaced Israel or whether you believe that God still has a plan for his chosen people, even though right now, you know, they're not as a nation believing in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I would just say that this conversation that we're going to have and have over the next few weeks is really, really important dro- doctrinally as well. Yes, yes very much
2: so. Jesus addressed a lot of this back in the Gospels uh, during right previous to his Passion Week, and that's when he was entering, mm-hmm. and he was lauded, but then he comes up onto the mountain and he cries over Jerusalem. Yeah, and He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. how oft would I have gathered thee as a hen gathereth her chicks? Mm-hmm. But and then he says, but ye... Would, would not. not. Mm-hmm. And so the fact is, it's not that his love has diminished or that he's, re, you know, rejected them necessarily. It's that right. he, or that, that they, they rejected, rejected him. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's, you know, there's nothing else to turn to at that point, but he hasn't cast them aside, maybe temporarily, but not altogether. And yeah. uh, what's interesting, too, is that Paul, uh, regarding what you had asked, uh, I believe he would, when we look at Paul's pattern in the book of Acts, um, previous mm-hmm. it would say verse 17 or excuse me chapter 17 in the beginning encapsulates perfectly what uh his response would be he would still be burdened he'd be crying out he'd be with heaviness yeah. but it compelled him uh, it was a, a overwhelming compulsion that it says that as his manner was he would go to the synagogues mm-hmm. everywhere that he would have an opportunity to and it said that he did two things in particular in his approach to israel and that mm-hmm. was one he first addressed this issue was that Christ must needs have suffered and died Mm -hmm. and, you know, rose again. Mm -hmm. So that's, they were not accounting for that. They expected Messiah to come Mm -hmm. to deliver them physically from the Romans, but they weren't accounting for the fact that even though it was prophesied Mm. from Isaiah, from Daniel, from other places that Messiah would be cut off, Mm -hmm. that Messiah must needs have suffered. Once he's already established that fact, he would then address the fact that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is that very Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, we would do. We would be wise to follow his pattern as yeah. well.
1: Amen. Thank you, Charlie. That's wonderful. We have a Jewish man in our church, and he came up to me a couple of weeks ago after the service, and mm-hmm. he said, "Why have the Jewish people not accepted Christ?" Mm. And you know that he's burdened as well for his own people. And so, you know, I answered him a few questions, but I, I, with, with some verses, and and i think i was able to help him a little bit but i think this passage also really provides a lot of help to that because as a jewish person and a jewish believer i think that they get a lot of pressure from their family mm-hmm. that if you believe in christ mm-hmm. you're you're a traitor to judaism you're you're no longer jewish even mm-hmm. and and i think that his question may have been coming kind of out of out of that sense where others were questioning him, like, how can you, a Jewish person, believe in Jesus Christ? Like, that's traitorous. Mm. And so Paul was actually uh, accused of being a traitor as well by the Jewish people of his day, and that he didn't even deserve to live, that Paul deserved to die. So the question, Charlie, is, is a Jewish person a traitor? if they believe that Jesus is their Messiah.
2: No, not by any means. I understand the implications of that from just a natural man's standpoint. They would say that, oh, because Jesus, according to a number of Jewish individuals as far as Jewish sects or groups, was Roman-born or that he affiliated with the Catholic Church, uh, unfortunately, and that because of the abuses of the Catholic cult and others that named the name of Christ that were anti-Semitic. And they would say, well, how can you, how can you stand for that? Uh, Look, even in um, most recent history, uh, the Holocaust, that uh, not only was the Grand Mufti, the Grand Mufti went into Europe and advised Hitler with regard to how do sorry, we? Sorry, sp- who went? You said? Oh, the Grand Mufti. He was a uh, Islamic leader mm-hmm. within. Oh, the Grand Mufti. Mufti. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, okay, I was mispronouncing okay. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he advised Hitler with regard to how do we solve the Jewish dilemma, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. And you know, then they went about the pogroms and then the the whole Holocaust and then el- eliminating over six million uh, Jewish individuals from Europe. And um, that's what they view. Oh christ if you're a christian and that's but the thing is that's not you're siding with people who have
1: fought and tried to destroy israel and kill jews that's who you're siding with in their mind right yes if you believe in christ yes because of the the crusades and even hitler being backed by the roman catholic church and in that in the holocaust of the jewish people so historically and And I'm not just picking on Romanism, but they have been anti-Semitic, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. it's very definitely. Yeah, they they believe that uh, the church replaced uh, the Jews, that the Jews were quote-unquote Christ killers Mm -hmm. and other kind of slanders on things. The thing was they're just as responsible for the death of Christ. Yeah. Uh, He died for the whole world. And so it wasn't exclusive of the Jewish nation. But this is very interesting. In Acts chapter 15, which I'll just read very quickly, uh, a small portion, uh, verse 6, starting at, and that is, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this manner, and that is of the uh, the Gentiles being born again mm-hmm. and being included into the church, because mm-hmm. up to this point, uh, though the brethren that were in Jerusalem, the, the church had been primarily Jewish. Uh, if you look at the makeup of the church for the first, uh, practically for the first 15 chapters of of uh the book of Acts, mm-hmm. it was Jews that were getting born again. Yeah. And then from that after the persecution started and then they were spread abroad, mm-hmm. they went everywhere preaching. And then we see them extending over to the Gentiles. You see Gentiles getting saved. And then there was an argument well saying, Oh, they have to keep the law of Moses. Uh and then verse eight, and God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, of uh, speaking of the Jews, giving them and uh, and also of the Gentiles that were getting saved, giving them, giving the 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 Gentiles, the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, the Jews, mm-hmm. and put no difference between us and them, uh, purifying their hearts by faith. And then now, therefore, where I tempt ye God and put a yoke upon their neck, uh, uh, the, the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. And so the thing is, no, you're not a traitor. Yeah. The fact is, that was God's design is for you to believe in Messiah. Mm-hmm. He was the one that was promised to you, that came to you mm-hmm. uh, as a rejection because of the wholesale rejection uh, of the Jewish nation mm-hmm. of Messiah, though not all, he came into his own, but his own received not, but his many free them. To them gave you power to become the sons of God, even that they believe in his name. So of that remnant, that small amount that would believe, and even you see that growing still today, um, you have, they turned on to the, or God's plan, okay, turned to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Micah? Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you guys were speaking of the Romanism, um, anti-Semitism. You know, I that's not something that I really even understood probably until the last couple of years, but there's a group called One for Israel, and they have a lot of things going on with their ministry over in Israel. Um, they're basically, their ministry is to the Jews and to the Arabs in Israel, trying to bring them to Christianity. But when they first started, it was just tons and tons of testimonies, and you'd hear these testimonies of these Jewish people, you know, who grew up in America, and they'd be chased you know, they'd be five years old and chased down the street living in a Catholic neighborhood, and they'd say, you killed Christ, you killed Christ, and these little Mm -hmm. five-year-old Jewish kids would be like, I don't even know who Christ is. So you really start to understand, when you hear some of these testimonies, you start to understand the anti-Semitism that was coming at them from quote-unquote Christians, and so you can see why, when a Jewish person does become saved, how their families might still, even today, consider them traitors. Um, And then You know, it goes beyond families. I was just uh, noticing just in the last couple of weeks, Rolling Stone magazine, it published an article online and it smeared probably the most prominent Messianic Jew in America um, for his take on the Israel Hamas war, where he basically described the unbelieving Jewish people as sheep without their shepherd. So it's not only families, it's even in the media where. Jews who become Christians are basically smeared and called traitors. You know, if
1: you look at what the professing church, I say the professing church, I'm including the Roman Catholic system, Mm -hmm. which is really like you said, it's a cult. But if you take what they have done to the Jewish people and if a Jewish person joins that group, you would say they're a traitor. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the truth of the Scripture and who Jesus Christ is, yeah. and if a Jewish person turns to put their faith in Jesus Christ based on the Jesus of the Bible mm-hmm. and then joins a church that is a church that is patterned after the New Testament, that Jewish person could see themselves as Being complete Mm -hmm. and literally of embracing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who promised to send a Messiah. So, dear friend, if you are Jewish, under the sound of our voice, if you come to the Jesus of the Bible, you are not being a traitor. You are being completed Mm. in Jesus Christ. And we encourage you to call upon him. And our phone lines are open. You can call us right now at 929-333-3739. Maybe you have a question as a Jewish person or a Gentile this evening about who Jesus is. And you need to come to Christ. Or maybe you just need prayer this evening. We'd love to talk to you. Right now, we're going to go to a song. So you can call us at 929 333 nine two nine three three three. 3739, as we consider the love of Jesus Christ for your soul, how deep the Father's love for us. Call us now.
3: How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only Son to make this wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. let me life I know that it is good. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom.
1: How deep his love is. For us, dear friends, and we encourage you to come and believe on Jesus Christ because He loves you so much. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist, there's one Savior in the world. His name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And He will receive you, and you can call upon Him. And, you know, we're talking about. Jewish people, and there have been many Jewish people who have been saved individually, although national Israel may still, as a nation, not have received him yet. Many, many, thousands and thousands of individual Jewish people have trusted Christ and have not been a traitor to him. So we see, and and then when a Jewish person does become saved, they get a burden for their people, Israel, their people according to the flesh. And so we read of, of Paul's burden for Israel here, Micah. Mm -hmm. And we see a number of things about it. In verse 1, the way I simply like to say it is, Paul had a sincerely true burden for Israel. He said, I lie not. So let's talk further about how Paul expresses this true burden that he had for the people of Israel, especially in Romans 9, verse
0: 1. Well, yeah, so at the very beginning of this very important three-chapter section focused on God's covenant with the Jewish people, Paul appeals to two members of the Trinity to prove his sincerity. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy ghost. And what Paul is doing here at risk of blasphemy is saying something like as God is my witness. I am overwhelmingly burdened for my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, We may ask, why couldn't Paul have just said what he meant without appealing to the Trinity as a witness? You know, why wouldn't his readers just have taken him at his word? And I think the answer is twofold. Um, You know, the first reason, as we just mentioned, was that Paul was considered a traitor by many of his fellow Jews. He used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, and now he was advocating that the Mosaic law be replaced by the New Covenant. And that was no small thing. The second reason a reader might question Paul's sincerity was because he had almost been murdered by these same people several times. He had been beaten, cursed, stoned, and chased like an animal across the Roman world by his fellow Jews. So the natural human instinct would not be a burden of love toward them. But we know that Paul's sincere burden for the salvation of his people didn't come from his flesh. It didn't come from his natural human instincts, but it came from his spirit which was indwelled by the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the one who said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That's right. You know,
1: exactly, Micah. And many people actually and you know, and just reading about this, some Jewish people think that the New Testament is just an anti Semitic book as it as it stands, that it's anti Semitic. Mm-hmm. And that Paul himself was anti Semitic. Mm-hmm. He did write some very strong language mm-hmm. about what the Jewish people did to the early Christians mm-hmm. and, and to Jesus himself. Now, the Jewish people were not Christ killers in the sense we were talking earlier. Yeah. We're all, all of our sin put Jesus yeah. on the mm-hmm. cross. But Paul did say that the Jewish people both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's in first Thessalonians chapter two, verse fifteen. That's strong language. Mm-hmm. So some people might think, Man, Paul's really bitter. At these Jewish people, yes. he's angry. He's yes. got an axe to grind against them. So Paul's saying, "I don't have any axe to grind. Mm-hmm. My conscience is clear." So he appeals to the conscience. He appeals to his position in Christ, yeah. which is Romans eight, okay. and he appeals to the witness of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter eight. Also, mm-hmm. those are the, the, So he puts it all together and say, "I have a true burden for Israel that they're saved. Mm-hmm. I'm not bitter and angry at them." Yeah.
2: Also, the fact he's going to address and I won't jump into it right now because we're going to readdress it but what he's about to say with regard to his burden is that uh, it's incredibly mind-blowing that really the fact is well, again i won't reveal what he's well, about to say but he's well, going to okay say. well charlie <laughs> let's get into that what
1: is that okay or did you want let, to let's let's talk about that okay. next verse when we, we we can move from paul's true burden to his painful burden and he expresses that in verse 2, a, a true, like, real spiritual pain in his heart. So how does he express that pain? I think that's what you were driving at, right? Yes. Yeah, so why don't we just go
2: right into that? It says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Now, this is pretty interesting because you would think we're called to be joyful in all things. We're called to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Paul would write to the uh, people in Philippian, uh the the Church of Philippi. And then we see that that's a thing, that uh, the, the Christian life is a joy in the Holy Ghost. But he says here that he has a continual burden and a continual heaviness and sorrow in his heart. And I think that's a legitimate, genuine response to seeing the condition mm-hmm. of his people and to seeing the condition, I would imagine, even a large amount of his family and friends whom Mm -hmm. he used to co-labor with, that uh, he was responsible for upbringing training Mm -hmm. and seeing that their blindness, their willful disobedience, their willful rejection of true hope and light Mm -hmm. uh, for eternal life. And there is no other response for that. You know, he's brokenhearted. Jesus Mm -hmm.
0: wept. Yeah. And I would just say, um, you know, I tried to sort of put myself in Paul's shoes here And, you know, I still remember being a little kid and understanding the eternity in hell for sort of the first time. And I just Mm -hmm. remember being super grieved by it, almost to the point of being overwhelmed. And it wasn't because I had a fear of my own destiny at the time. It was because I was frightened and grieved for others who would end up there. And over time, you know, I think the the shock of eternal hellfire can wear off for people to a large degree, to the point where some people even make fun of it or stupidly say that they think hell will be some kind of party. But the most honest response for a Christian to the knowledge of the lost should be like Paul's response, a great heaviness and continual Mm -hmm. sorrow of heart. So it should be the motivation for us as Christians, just like it was for Paul, to fulfill that great commission.
2: Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Dear friends, maybe you have a Jewish friend that you're burdened for, or maybe you just have an unsaved loved one that you have a pain A painful burden, in a sense. A true and painful burden in your heart. Can we pray with you about that? Give us a call at 929-333-3739. We'd love to hear from you this evening. Maybe you need prayer tonight for your own soul salvation. We want to hear from you. You need to call us right now, in fact, if you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you're just praying for someone to be saved, or maybe you're... you need to really ask God to give you a true burden in your soul for the lost who are dying without Christ, yea, heading to an eternity in the lake of fire. We should be burdened about that. We should all be burdened for all souls. We should all have a great heaviness and a sorrow in our heart for Mm -hmm. those who are not saved, dear friends. So if we could pray with you about this, call us right now. 929-333-3739. So, Micah, Paul had a true burden, that's verse 1, a painful burden, Mm -hmm. that's verse 2, and now he has an incredibly, what I call an unselfish burden. What unselfishness is in Paul? So how does he express his unselfish burden for the people of Israel?
0: Yeah, well, in verse 3, Paul says that his burden for his people is so great that he wishes he could actually swap places with the lost. His exact words are, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And as I read this, my mind goes back to Genesis where Judah one of the sons of Jacob, where we get the word Jew, he negotiates with this Egyptian lord for his little brother Benjamin's release. You know, he begs Joseph. Mm. He doesn't know that it's Joseph at the time, but he begs him to let Benjamin go and then take him, Judah, as a prisoner instead. And this was an event that proved to Joseph that his brothers had truly changed. And, you know, in modern terms, this would be like a hostage negotiator in Israel today, swapping himself Mm. To Hamas for the Jewish hostages but then it's actually more important than that because Paul is saying that he would be accursed from Christ in the place of his fellow Jews in other words he would be willing to go to eternal hell and this is Paul's ultimate expression of unselfishness his desire to live out Jesus's famous words in John fifteen thirteen, where Jesus said greater love hath no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends and this, this does bring back the
1: memory of Moses yes. when Israel was worshiping that golden calf. And Moses interceded for their, for their sin. And in the King James Bible, they even put a very interesting point of grammar mm. in this verse in Exodus where, where Moses said, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... And then there's a dash.
3: Mm.
1: There's not many dashes in the Bible. Mm. <laughs> Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and it's like he just leaves a blank open. And then he said, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Mm. So this was the heart of Moses as yeah. well. Yes. Even though there was a righteous anger against the people, mm-hmm. there was a deep, true, painful, unselfish burden for his people.
2: This is a supernatural thing. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I could not relate. The closest mm-hmm. I can ever see, mm-hmm. just from a human perspective, and just being honest with you as far as me personally, yeah. is that I'd be willing to lay down my life for my wife. I'd be leaving. I've prayed this prior to ever meeting my wife, but mm. for uh, before my um, father and before my mom got saved, that, Lord, if, if it takes even me losing my physical life mm. um for them to get saved and for my family to get saved and okay, so be it. And it took a while for me to get to that point. Yeah. But the fact is I couldn't imagine willing to give up my salvation, mm-hmm. eternity mm-hmm. in heaven so that I would spend eternity in hell mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. that
1: mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty deep. Yeah. It is. That's a pretty deep and painful burden that, that Paul did have. I mean, a really unselfish heart to to make that kind of statement that he would wish himself accursed mm-hmm. anathema to bear the penalty of hell if if that would lead to his kinsmen having heaven mm-hmm. he was willing to pay for that dear friends and this this just kind of i mean this should strike a chord in all of us too yeah. that yeah we all, and and I speak for myself, we can get cold of heart to the lost Mm -hmm. condition. Mm -hmm. I mean, here we are in the city, and there's so many lost people around us, and we could just kind of just get hardened to Mm -hmm. it, but we should not get, we must not get hardened to it. Mm -hmm. We must ask God to continually give us a soft heart and a broken heart for those who are without Christ, and then witness to them when God opens those doors and look for opportunities mm-hmm. as well yes. to yeah. share yes. the gospel.
0: Yeah, and I would just say, you know, we're talking specifically about religious Jews for the most part tonight, but we should keep in mind that uh, many, many Jews are very secular. You know, we, we live in a city and work in a city where um, probably most of us work with secular Jews. You know, I did. My uh, career was in magazines, and both of my editors-in-chief... Um, at the magazines I worked for, one for two years and another one for four years, they were both Jewish, and neither one of them were religious. So we should keep in mind, too, that you know just like anybody walking down the street who's not necessarily any kind of religion, that could be a Jewish person, too. So we have to be burdened for those people as well. Yeah, That's
1: right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, dear friends, we're saying that Paul had a deep burden for Israel. His burden was a true burden, a painful one, an unselfish burden, but it was number four now, a reasonable burden, because then he goes into a list of seven or even eight different privileges that national Israel had, and it's only reasonable for him to want Israel to be saved, because they have been used by God throughout history to bring the Messiah into the world, mm-hmm. as well as the Scripture into the world, mm-hmm. and they have suffered deeply for it. And so we should have a, a heart for Israel to be saved because of all that they have gone through. So let's talk about some of these privileges. And Charlie, if you could talk on the first couple uh, where Paul says in Romans chapter 9 now in verse 4 that the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption... And the glory. So the privileges of adoption and glory. Let's talk about that.
2: This is pretty interesting. I was trying to see with regard to adoption from a Jewish perspective, but most of what I ended up finding was from a Roman perspective because individuals that are born uh, Jewish, uh, they have a system of basically lineage. So in other words, firstborn is the one that has inheritance and is able Mm -hmm. to pass down from on there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But with regard to the Roman perspective, it's even if you are natural born, in other words, you're uh, the mother and, excuse me, the father and the mother through whom you were born, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not necessarily taken in as their natural born individual. Uh, You don't receive those privileges until you're actually adopted in. And at that point, you have... Uh, the inheritance, you have all these number of different blessings that you would normally find through the natural born uh, in the Jewish, uh, Jewish world. And so with regard to adoption, they're, they're recognized as the legitimate heir mm-hmm. to um, the different, uh, you know, be it bland, uh, land, blessings, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, throne, and mm-hmm. such. Uh, and that again, that's from a Roman perspective, but they are now, because of their uh, position mm-hmm. um, as 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 Jews, that uh, they they have that, as well as it's the glory, the glory meaning God's glory. That is, who else but the Jewish nation could say? I mean, obviously, I know we God loves the world, but yeah. He worked specifically and He isolated Himself to work through Abraham's seed, mm-hmm. uh, through Isaac's seed, to yeah. Jacob's seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And when Moses went to Pharaoh, what did he say? God told Moses, "Thus shalt thou say unto Pharaoh," Exodus chapter four, verse twenty-two. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Mm. And it's and so God takes and declares ownership over those people, doesn't mm-hmm. He? Yes. He says, "They are mine. That is my son." Mm. No, I have a son, I have two sons. They're my sons. Yeah. They're nobody else's sons in the world. Mm-hmm. I have those two young men now. Yeah. They're men. But yes. they're yeah. my sons. So a father takes ownership in that sense over his children. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, right. I, there's just so many uh, references uh, in Hosea, in Ezekiel, where God really describes the nation of Israel as his child. Um, you know, I think of Hosea out of out of Egypt. You know, I called my yeah. son and I think I mentioned on this program a couple of weeks ago in Ezekiel where God says it's like you were like a baby abandoned in a field. And I picked you up and I made you into yeah. a queen. So God really, really speaks to Israel as if it is this child, as you as you said, with all with all the inheritance, with all the glory, with all the gifts that a child would have.
1: yeah Yeah. and not only sun but glory did you want to comment on that
2: yeah or or more on the sun whatever you want to say no i was going to say with regard to glory is that who else uh has literal creator of the universe working on their behalf (laughs) leading them through the wilderness feeding them yeah now they would have not lasted 40 years Mm -hmm. obviously if it hadn't been for god but the fact is they originally weren't intended to be there for 40 years that Mm -hmm. wasn't god's intent but the their disobedience, They, but even in spite of the fact of the disobedience, look, even, even today, the fact that we are, have, uh, you know, physical Israel and we have Jewish people on the planet mm-hmm. <laughs> that we normally think of the Holocaust of, you know, World War II yeah. as being the only time. But that's not the first time in their history that they've had attempts to literally wipe them off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're still preserved today mm-hmm. uh, it speaks to the fact that there is a God yeah. in heaven that has a plan for them, that Mm -hmm. loves them, that wants to use them, that wants to save them. And what more glory is that?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every Jewish person, in a sense, is a miracle of God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because Isaac was born through Abraham and Sarah when they were it was impossible for them to have a child. Mm -hmm. And so Isaac, of course, had Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Mm -hmm. So if there's no Isaac, there's no Jacob. If there's no Jacob, there's no Israel. And Isaac is only here because of a promise of God. Mm -hmm, He's a child of promise. Mm -hmm. He's here by a miracle. Mm -hmm. And every Israelite is Mm -hmm. here by a miracle. But Mm -hmm. aren't we all?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) Aren't, Aren't we all? Okay, Micah, so what are some of the other privileges that God has given to Israel, he says, the privileges of the covenants Mm -hmm. and the giving of the law.
0: Yeah. Well, this list in chapter four, it's just so powerful because each one of these privileges given to the Jewish people contains amazing richness. You know, the word covenant, it can be defined as an oath bound relationship between two or more parties. And God made several of these legally binding oath bound agreements with Israel. Um, two of the major covenants were unconditional, meaning God would fulfill his end of the bargain independent of anything that Israel did. Um, yeah, you know, please. And the, one of them was the Abrahamic covenant, where God unconditionally promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation, they would bless the whole earth, and they would have a great land of their own. And later, there was the Davidic covenant, where God promised David that a king from his family line would forever sit on the throne of Israel— And another one of the privileges that you mentioned was the giving of the law. And this is the reference of, you know, the most pivotal time of Israel's Old Testament history when God gave Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai, his commands for worship and his commands for morality. So you have these two things they're so rich so much could be said but that's just sort of a preview
1: yeah and and if i could just add this in also i mean here we are we're gentiles mm-hmm. and we're believers in jesus christ we take the lord's supper yeah. in our church mm-hmm. which is us saying we have entered into the new covenant mm-hmm. which is the blood of jesus christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins mm-hmm. and we believe in the the new co- we're under the the new covenant we're not under the old covenant or the Mosaic law yeah but you know who the new covenant was primarily made for <laughs> Jewish people mm. in Jeremiah chapter thirty one God says in verse thirty one behold the days come saith the Lord I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah and then he goes on not according to the covenant that was the Mosaic covenant but a new covenant mm. and the point is this what I'm making is is the new covenant was first made with Israel, Mm -hmm. and God has let us Gentiles to partake of it. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even seen the fullness of the new covenant, Mm. which we will see during the millennium. Mm -hmm. That's what the millennium is actually going to bring about, Mm. the completion
2: and
0: the fulfillment of Mm -hmm. the new covenant.
2: Mm. Amen. Amen. That's the new covenant. Yeah.
0: Well, I well, Maybe I was just going to say it goes back say to that. Else? It goes back to that doctrine. Oh, the giving of the law. Well, go, what well, goes back to that doctrine? What you believe about national Israel actually is it informs what you believe about the millennium because there are churches who believe that we're sort of in the millennium now, and you would say, no, 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 we're we're <laughs> waiting to see the fullness of it. If this is the fullness of the millennium, it doesn't look like Isaiah described. It doesn't look like it's described in the Old Testament. That's it right. is to come. It's in the and, future. And
1: the reason we believe in a literal earthly millennial kingdom is because of these unconditional covenants yeah.
0: that God made
1: with Abraham. It was actual actual literal land. And with David, it was an actual literal king. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be a real king who's going to rule over a real land. And that real king is Jesus. Mm. And right. and the reason that, that Satan still hates Israel is because he's trying to thwart God's plan of that yep. king mm-hmm. coming and setting up his kingdom on earth. Yeah. But he won't be able to. Mm. He right. won't be able to, dear friends. That's why, you know, another thing that's amazing about this, and when we think about Israel, is is the, these are unconditional covenants, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. So God made these unconditional promises. Well, that's not fair. Somebody might say, well, what, what if they sin? Are he still gonna, he's still going to do what he said? Yeah. You know why? Because the promises went beyond Israel. Mm-hmm. The promises go to us. Mm-hmm. And so God was going to unconditionally fulfill his promises he made to Abraham and David mm-hmm. because of All the nations of the world who need the salvation that he was going to bring through his son, Jesus Christ. Mm, That's Mm. right. Amen. Okay, so, Charlie, let's talk next about the promises and the fathers. Romans chapter 9, it says, whose are the, the, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises, whose are the father's?
2: Now, with regard to the promises, promises are very similar to the covenants. It's, in other words, God saying, I will do this, mm-hmm. I will do that. Yeah. Uh, and so who else has had, we see throughout bits and pieces as far as God speaking and dealing with Gentiles and throughout, but he isolated himself specifically through work through Abraham's seed. And who else has had that uh, on on the planet once once he he once he started on his plan yeah nobody has Mm -hmm. and the fact is also we're told here as far as the the fathers uh so so just so uh, reiterate it's abraham isaac jacob and their lineage lineage of promise and not necessarily of um well the uh the muslims and uh Uh, Islamic followers would say that Ishmael is the one that's to whom we're supposed to bow in the inheritance. So when
1: he says the fathers here, he's primarily speaking of the patriarchs. And it's through that lineage that because it says as of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came. Mm -hmm. And so we could say most specifically it would be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that lineage and Judah Mm -hmm. and so forth. But we can also say, in a broader sense, it could relate to the prophets who kept the children of God in line spiritually mm-hmm. so that, again, the Lord could come, come into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Mike, as we get to the end of this passage, Paul makes an incredible and dynamic statement of the glorious person of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. emphasizing really his humanity and deity. So could you talk to us about this power, powerful statement where it says, of, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, mm-hmm. God-blessed, forever. And then he even says amen
0: Amen. in the middle of the verse. So talk (laughs) to us about this. Yeah, on the front end of this description, Paul speaks of Christ's humanity. It's a very important doctrine. And Paul says that Jesus came into the flesh through the fathers, those patriarchs and prophets whom you just mentioned, Pastor. And this reiterates uh, John 1, 14, 14, which says, And the word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it also reiterates Paul's words that he said in Philippians 2, 7, where he described that Jesus took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus is 100% human, and that was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant again, you know, through Abraham's seed (plural), the Jewish people. There's a seed (singular), Jesus, who came in human flesh to bless the whole world. And on yeah. the back end of this description in verse five, Paul speaks of Christ's divinity, a doctrine that mm. it also must be accepted. He writes that Jesus is over all. Punctuating with that statement, as you said, "God bless forever, Amen." And so Jesus was 100% divine. And it's the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. The son of David from the tribe of Judah ruling and reigning for eternity.
1: Yes. You know, Micah, great. That's that's awesome. So in the front end of this verse, he's talking about that Christ came in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So fully man. Mm -hmm. And then in the second part, Christ came fully God. He is God-blessed not for a temporary period of time, Mm -hmm. but forever. Mm -hmm. So very well, clearly articulated there, Micah. Thank you so much. And I love what Paul said of Christ, that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That verse clearly, emphatically states that Jesus Christ is our Savior, but he's also our great God, right. and there are very many verses that emphasize the deity of Christ. So, as we close out the program, Charlie, what are some of your favorite? What's a favorite verse of yours that you have of the deity of Jesus Christ?
2: Well, in particular, I would—I always defer to Romans chapter ten, where we're. This is a preview. <laughs> yeah, but this is that uh, it says that um, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. yeah. And believe in thy heart. So Mm -hmm. the Lord, meaning Jesus is the Lord or Jesus Mm -hmm. is Yahweh
1: or Mm -hmm. Jehovah. Mm -hmm. Yes, he is Lord. And at the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus
0: Christ, every knee will bow. Micah, yeah. yourself? Yeah, I really love John twenty verse twenty-eight, and the context is we have doubting Thomas, you know, and he seems to be sort of a stand-in for each one of us. He's stubbornly saying that he will not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead unless he not only sees him with his eyes, but touches Jesus's crucifixion wounds. And so Jesus compassionately condescends to Thomas's demand. He shows up. He said, "Thomas, touch touch me in my hands. Thrust." your hand into the place where the spear was thrust in my side and thomas responds and he says he answered and said unto him my lord and my god and in this moment jesus accepts thomas's words and he accepts his worship only god would do that amen
1: praise the lord dear friends thank you for joining us thank you charlie Thank you, Micah, for sharing this evening, this great conversation of Paul's deep burden for Israel. Dear friends, thank you for listening. Tell your friends about our Heritage of Faith Conversations program. Tell them that the the program re-airs Wednesday at 9 p.m. As well, we're live here Sunday night at 6 p.m. Join us next week. Visit us at Heritage Baptist Church as well, any Sunday. 10 a.m. is our Bible study. 11 a.m. is the morning service at 490 Hudson Street. Good night, and God bless you. Jesus loves you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website hbcnyc.org and join us again next Sunday at 6pm for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then rejoice in the Lord.